Hey everybody and welcome back to another Pink Show. I'm Mike Levy and today I've only got one guest but he is very sweet and he comes with a deep deep sultry sounding voice. Oh you know who it is? Henry Quinney. Henry. I never knew I had a deep voice that was so sultry until I got to well, when I got to North America, everyone just called like, you damn asshole. And I'm there like, hello, chaps. And then I understand why my voice is so different. Well, it also could be my very poor sound production qualities for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I love it. And it's so, I just love the contrast of you working in a cupboard like Harry Potter under the stairs and people like, you need to speak to your sound guy to get Henry's voice, voice a bit better. I'm like, it's our sound guy is this guy. Like, dudes, I'm lucky I plugged my headphones in for this, okay? Like, like Mike's experience with, like, audio and sound management is, like, doing illegal burner CDs of Blink-182's albums. Do you know what I mean? And selling them at the back of a car boot. Hey, now, hey, now, don't, don't tell them about my career before Pink Bike. <laughs> Henry, today I thought we'd talk about our dream ride, the kind that you get home from and think, man, that was everything I needed and more. And you know how like almost all rides are good usually, like unless something really sour happens, but there are also those rides that you remember like it was yesterday, the extra special days on the bike. It doesn't matter if they happened like five years ago, 10 years ago, two months ago. You think back and you're like, Man, that was really fucking good, eh? When when's the last time you had a ride like that, Henry? Oh, um, I mean, I've had some really really good rides over winter. Like I have been enjoying. I would say though, in the autumn, my friend John, who I used to work with on the the race team, he came over and I said, "I can show you one hell of a day around Squamish," and he's got a great attitude. And yeah, we just rode. It was good. I think it. I don't know. It was it had a great variety. It was mm-hmm. a fantastic ride. And also it was great to, he'd never ridden in Squamish before, although he'd ridden a lot in Whistler. And it was great to kind of do a lot of the sort of stereotypical Squamish riding. It was, it was, it was a great day. How about yourself? Oh, geez. It's definitely, it's been a while. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot you of know, my rides. I had a really fun time. It was ruined by you pushing me in a ditch. But mm-hmm. that time we rode together in Pemberton, I had a great time. Yeah, those and were great rides. And until you grabbed my front brake, it was a really yeah. nice day. <laughs> yeah. No, those were great rides. Well, those are, you know, sometimes things go south, Henry. You know, I did that to a buddy one time. So this a friend of mine, Scott, who he had taken like a decade off riding. And then we were, he decided to come back and I, I took him out for one of his first rides. We're climbing up this gravel road and I thought I would be funny. And I reached over and, and went to go grab his front brake lever to just like mm-hmm. stop him. You know, we weren't going that fast. Yeah. But I reached over and I slapped the front brake lever instead. He flipped right over the handlebars on this uphill forest service road going about two miles an hour. Then the bike came around and smoked him in the back of the head. So anyways, <laughs> I've done that before and it, it didn't really go well. But I think if I had to think back, it would probably be late last summer I was doing some bigger rides that like physically they were physically and mentally they were beating the living shit out of me and mm. I don't know like I'm just I'm I'm in that mindset right now where that to me is what makes a really good ride and I was out there and saw some awesome trails and you know climbed a bunch of feet and covered a bunch of miles but yeah it was just super hot uh I was in a lot of discomfort and by the time I got home I didn't 
like the ride that much. That's something we're going to talk about in a little bit, how in the heat of the moment, sometimes the best rides are the worst rides, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. You never have fun while you're doing it. No, no. Or if you are, a lot of times they're just good rides, you know? Mm. You know what I mean? What about what about the factors that go into making a really good ride for you, Henry? What like I know that I know for a lot of people a good ride would be, you know, they're out there with like their two or three best buddies and they're, you know, doing something and what about yourself? Do you need a bunch of buddies to go for a uh, good ride? I- it's funny, I think, how to put it, it's funny because if you heard me talk on this, you'd, I'm, I'm quite an extroverted person and I'm in some ways slightly eccentric, but slightly. I'm also quite, a, I don't, I never, yeah, again, I never knew I was until people started telling me. I like, think you're just you're British, an to be honest. <laughs> and I'm there like, I am? Oh my God, I am, you know? <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I never, I never knew, but um, I'm, I'm quite a private person as well. Mm-hmm. And I also really like my alone time. So I find that for me... You know, a normal group ride isn't as good as a normal solo ride. However, a very good group ride goes way beyond a good solo ride. Yeah. When all those things click. When all those things click. I mean, for me, I think it sounds silly, but I like to ride people that just have a, we have a mutual respect about what each other's trying to get out of the ride. Mm -hmm. And it sounds really silly, but like basic timekeeping. I'm not saying you have to be to the minute, but it has to be, you know, for me, I like to, not start the crack of dawn, but like, let's meet at nine o'clock for a cup of coffee and we're going to go from there. Or if, you know, I don't like, you know, sometimes people want to start like late in the day or they come with their bike that isn't maintained and that is not, not good, not a good one for me, especially because sometimes people ask, ask me to fix it. Right. And I'm there like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I can, but if this happened on the ride, it wouldn't bother me. But the fact that you've come being like, I just cannot get these tires seated. You're a strapping young lad. I'm like, for God's sake, <laughs> you've only got a hand pump. <laughs> yeah. You, you touched on something there. You, you basically said that whoever you're riding with, you were implying that whoever you're riding with, it's important. I think that they have like similar, maybe not style, but intentions, mm. you know, like intentions. Yeah. Right. So if you're going out and you're looking to pedal all day, and your buddy wants to send it all day, obviously, like, you know, you guys aren't going to match on the on the mountain bike Tinder or whatever. You guys mm. maybe don't make the best couple. Well, I don't know. I mean, I only, I only care about effort. I'm never going to be like, oh, you're not going fast enough at this hill. But as long as you're trying, um, that that that's absolutely great for me. And also, I like people to understand that my problems are my problems and their problems are their problems. And we don't, they do not intertwine. Like... If you're hungry, you should have bought food. That's not saying that I wouldn't offer food because I always do, but just people have sort of approached the ride as if they're riding by themselves and then we mm-hmm. happen to ride it together. Um, and I, you know, I mean, I think one of the sort of best sort of rides I did recently was I had 10 days in Innerleithen. Amazing riding. It was April, but we had sunshine every day in Scotland. And, uh, and I was riding my friend Matt and it was nice. Like we every day we rode maybe... 12 to 1500 meters sort of territory so good days mm-hmm. and every day the trails got better and every day we just felt like we we're pushing more and more i like people that can kind of climb at a rolling rolling boil and then when we go down like my dream is that we basically and it's because it's the way i ride by myself and me and my regular f- riding friends we've got this down to a t we literally say you'd be halfway through a sentence 
and you just drop your post and you go into the run blah, 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 blah. and then when we come out the bottom we just carry on the conversation almost as if nothing had happened mm. and i love that continuity and and i love that flow but here's a question do you think that you can you ever i mean i i think i probably ride quite sort of a similar intensity on the descents do you ride harder or do you go easier when you're going down when you're with friends I think I usually ride easier if I'm riding with somebody else because a lot of times we'll be hooting and hollering or, you know, if so-and-so is in front of me, maybe they'll slow up because they want me to see something or if I'm in front of them, I'll slow up because I want them to see a line that I'm doing or something. I have a hard time riding with groups of people usually because like on the climb, I want to try really fucking hard, you know, mm. like that's just how I'm wired. Yeah. And... On the downs, I don't want to try that hard, but I do want to like screw around and have fun. Like I want to climb up the hill thinking about fitness. And then when I'm going down the hill, I'm not thinking about like, I'm never thinking about how fast I can ride this trail. But do you think that puts your odds with other mountain bikers at all or? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Not everybody. No, I'm, well, no, of course. I mean, it's such a, it, there's no... There is no one mountain biker. We just all do it for a myriad of different reasons, right? Yeah. Um, but I think that approach, especially living in the Pacific Northwest, I mean, there are, there are a lot of, there, don't get me wrong, there are tons of people here who want to pedal up the hill hard. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I would argue that they're definitely in the minority compared to people that want to just go up the hill, you know? No. Yeah, no, totally. totally. Yeah. So if you're not on the same page, and I think that's why... When I go for like a group ride, I mean, my group rides are two other people. I went out to, I went out to the Fraser Valley on the weekend where I'm from, and I mean, very briefly there were four of us. <laughs> that was a big yeah. group ride. That was a big group ride. I struggle with. I'm not very good at. I'm kind of a. I kind of maybe it's a bit of a grandiose term, but I'm um I'm sort of I get kind of socially anxious when I'm because I want to make have one conversation that's quite meaningful and that's what I kind of strive for with with the people that I meet and it makes me I find that that's sometimes for me at least incompatible when there are lots of people there because I want I want to give everyone I don't want to be like I'm look like I'm just diverting my energy towards one person right yeah um so for me yeah what what's because for me two is good three is okay but four is is too much but now when I was younger I would never feel comfortable enough to say that I don't like riding in large groups because I thought it was almost expected of a mountain biker, right? If yeah. someone invites you to a group ride or you meet them on the hill, you've got to be like, yeah, I want to get in one with you because that's just sort of the how it is. But now <laughs> maybe a bit more miserable. I'm certainly older. And I'll just say, actually, I just want to ride by myself if that's okay. Yeah. And I feel quite, I don't, hopefully I'm never taken as rude, but it's just, um, yeah, it's how, how I like to do things, I suppose. Yeah. No, I would, I would definitely agree with that too. I mean, my, my ideal group would probably be two, to be honest, <laughs> you know? But yeah, um, you never ride with me. <laughs> Interesting. I know, right? <laughs> one day, Henry, one day. Like, I'm always like, Mike, do you want to get a, do you want to grab a cup of tea or a coffee? And you're like, I'm not there drinking that hippie tea crap. I care about what I put in my body as you sleep a monster. <laughs> well, I don't, dude. <laughs> I don't want to drink a tea. I want to go smash a climb, you know? <laughs> I don't just know. dodging bullets yeah you're like Neo. Well, the thing is is when you're with a group ride the ride isn't uh, maybe this is a better way to put it i'm selfish i'm super selfish oh, like yeah totally. when when i'm going for a bike ride 99 percent of the time it's the ride that i want to do at the pace that i want to do it at the time mm -hmm. that i want to do it 
and you know i have maybe two or three other people who i know that i might text to see if they join me but and i'm not one of them probably not <laughs> wow i mean <laughs> it's all right henry we're, we're just here. we're just rolling into riding season now the snow line <laughs> has chestnut. just gone up as soon as I go away for my first World Cup, you're going to get onto the two-week power train. Yeah. And I'm going to come back. Oh, no, I've been just riding so much, man. <laughs> You've just been driving the van, eating Cheetos. Perfect timing. <laughs> yeah. But it is a really special thing when you do meet somebody that has the same sort of understanding as, you know, you both interpret the passion the same way, right? Right. And I'm in, yes. me and my, one of my best friends, you know, I mean, he's this amazing endurance rider called Ben Hildred. And we were good friends anyway, but we really connected. We have sort of a, a romanticized view of riding bikes. And we'd always like, you know, do a long climb and we'd put a good album on and we'd just mm -hmm. listen to the music. And just like, I don't know, like little things like that. Like, I know I like people when stuff goes wrong, they just go, oh yeah, whoopsie daisy. It happens. I remember that's, one time. That's why you don't ride with me, Henry, because when yeah, stuff goes wrong, I just guy. go, fucking what the shit? <laughs> I just like throw my bike and walk just home. Just cracking a carbon frame over your knee. Just yeah. Ah. smash. <laughs> yeah. It's no, it's funny. Like I remember one time I picked, I was working in France and um, we, I was working for a guiding company and this guy broke his collarbone. And so I picked him up to like, hey bud, you know, tough luck. But you know, what's there to say? And he was like, I can't believe this is happening to me. Oh God, the injustice. Look, dude, you rode your bike into a tree. <laughs> There's no injustice here. <laughs> like, well, time, I mean, it's okay to feel bad for yourself. No, but it's okay to feel bad for yourself. But when you're like 40 years old, you have hey. an hour or two to think about it. You just go, it ha shit happens. Like, yeah. accept it and move on. Yeah. I remember one time I, uh, so I used to pedal up the Queenstown bike park a lot, like twice a day. And I'd always come across injured people. So I basically would always just give the lifties a call just to say there's somebody sat by the bottom of vertigo or, you know, huck gear or whatever. And they've done themselves a, done themselves an injury. Mm -hmm. And then but this one time I found this guy and I don't know, I think he maybe dislocated his shoulder or something. You know, I think it's really important to distinguish between pain and discomfort. It's not for me to say maybe, but he didn't seem like he was in a lot of pain. I think he was quite uncomfortable, but mm -hmm. it, you know, it was going to be fine. And then he started like just ranting and raving about what was it? Maybe it was like, like a, a white water rafting trip he'd had planned in a week. And he was like complaining at me. He was like, can you, why does this happen? I'm like, dude, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what you want from me. Like, Jesus. Dude, you landed on your front tire. That's why it happened. <laughs> <laughs> Lean back, dog. <laughs> yeah, right. You should have been thinking about your river trip. <laughs> I know. What about, um, what about matching either skill or fitness levels. Like when you're thinking about going for a ride with somebody, we're, get, we're getting a little off topic here, but let's just roll with it. When you're thinking about riding with somebody, do you, let's say they're way fitter than you, or let's say they're way less fit. Is that a factor? Would you be like, uh, way less fit on the climbs? It doesn't actually bother me that much, to be honest with you. I like people that I like to ride a trail cause I don't, I like to kind of ride more technical trails and I like to just know I don't have to worry about someone. Yeah. And I like to, I like also knowing that they don't have to worry about me. We get to the bottom. There's none of that. Oh, you, you just got half a bike length on me at that turn or, um, oh, my chain dropped. That's, that's why. That's exactly how I think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, it is what it is. Like they've yeah. got to do their thing. And sometimes they're going to go better than me. Maybe sometimes I'll go slightly better than them. Mm -hmm. And, um, I love that when you respect and understand each other sufficiently to not prove yourself on the climbs or the descents. Yeah. It's more important on the descents though, because, Listen, like for me, the thing I enjoy about mountain biking is getting outside, 
understeering through turns yes. and making braking bumps by being, <laughs> you know, being on the brakes too much. So that's what I do it for. Yeah, It's not for what other people think about me. I'm not saying that hasn't always been the case. I'm sure when I was younger and a bit more sort of, you know, fomachismo sort of really bad, like not even alpha male, but like we're getting to well, well to the, to the low end of the alphabet for the type of yeah, <laughs> I yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, like I, I now it makes me uncomfortable when we're riding and like I come nearly thirty years old and I ride with my friends at a similar age, and if it happens and someone's like, oh, what well, the the reason that and it's like, dude, I think just do you like it's fine, like yeah, you don't my opinion because what you're going to compromise yourself to try and get me to validate you or whatever and then you're going to realize that it's actually quite cheap to you so it cheapens both of us that's but not henry i just want to tell you about my cramps and that's why i was 10 minutes behind you on that 10 minute climb cramps i mean yeah i know and it's funny because i know we all do it it's probably something i'm guilty of which is maybe something why it makes me uncomfortable honestly like because all that happens is you cheapen yourself and i cheapen myself we objectify each other to be these yeah. mechanisms of validation and comfort and we, we actually could be more than that and then we can push each other in a ditch and I was As you say, ride on your first time riding clip pedals in like two years, and someone grabs your front brake, and you can then you can laugh excuses, about it. Excuses, you would have beat me up that hill. Actually, I think you beat me up that hill anyway. To be honest, I think I popped I about a hundred feet later. <laughs> All right, let's let's talk about terrain and the trails and what we would prefer to see for our for our so called dream ride. Henry, mm-hmm. where where are you riding? Oh, I think it's pro- probably, uh, I really like big drops. I mean, I love the riding in Squamish. It's very, very good. Wait, wait, wait. Just to clarify, big drops. You don't actually mean Huck and Henry sending it off a huge, <laughs> like, capital oh, shit, D-R-O-P. You mean like elevation No, I'm talking about vertical loss. change because I'm a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want my Strava to sing. Yeah. Um, I mean, so like, I really like the style of like, you know, Lord of the Squirrels sort of length, like maybe I think it's like, you know, probably 1300 meters or something like that. That's sort of good for me. So I like that size of hill, to be honest yeah. with you. So I'm thinking probably the Alps, you know, you could go up and do, I mean, even, you know, in Portugal, I really enjoyed it just because you go into different valleys and mm-hmm. it's each like maybe like, you know, six, seven, eight, 900 meters per per, um, mm-hmm. per elevation change, which I find really rewarding. I don't know, I like the, the long slog. I like to just spin it out. And then I like to do something where you're ha- you have to stop halfway down the run just because you're screwed. Yeah, I remember, in fact, me and my friend Johnny did a run in um, in Nelson called Power Slave, which was absolutely amazing. And I remember riding it and realizing we dropped like 600 meters and being pretty cooked and being like, we've still got like, you know, seven, 800 meters to go. <laughs> like, that's a, that's a big ride, that yeah, one. <laughs> so good. You get the old lobster claws at the end. <laughs> How about you? Because you're a, you're a down country kind of guy. Yeah. Do you like the undulating stuff or do you like to winch up and do a big one or I think I don't, I think I'm similar to you. Like I I've grown up riding in BC and we have we have some big mountains here, so I'm just sort of hardwired to think that all of my climbing should happen first, you know? And the climb should be nice and long. I like a climb that I can kind of get that I can get into, kind of sit into, pick a pace and yeah. It is weird doing a climb to get back home though. I always find that I hate that. anticlimactic. I hate like, it. You know, you descend when you're cold and climb back home. Yeah, no, 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 no. I call an Uber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, no, no, Mike, Mike. So when we got to field test in Sun Peaks. Oh shit. I heard a story. Can you tell, can you tell in your own words? Yeah. About, about what happened. Ah, oh, fuck. This wasn't a good ride. This was the opposite of the dream ride, everybody. <laughs> this is before we met. So I met Mike, like, I think probably the day or so after this. 
And, um, and yeah. Was- okay. So I'm going to set the scene. I'm going to set the scene. So going into this, I, I had been working my balls off doing lots of rides. It had, it had been extremely hot for a month before that. And God, yeah. I had, I'm pretty sure I'd given myself heat stroke at least twice in that month. Like it was, I was not feeling myself and uh, I brought my brought my bike to Sun Peaks. I was going to do this big ass ride, you know. It was going to take a long time. Had a lot of climbing, and uh, I knew though leaving the hotel. I remember looking down at my power meter and being like, "That's strange. I, I can't seem to pedal harder than two hundred watts. What's what's going on?" But because the ride started up at Sun Peaks and you descend down for like literally 30 or 40 kilometers down to the valley. I was like, you know, I'll, I'll get into it. I can I can ride into this. That's what I thought. So I just kept pedaling and got into it. And I, mean, I remember I was eventually, I don't know, 40, 40 or 50K away from home or something. And I, I, I'd already stopped on the side of the road a few times to just think about things, you know? Yeah. Give him a good, good thinking. I give it a good thinking and something was wrong and I ended up I called a fucking taxi and I had to get taxied back I was physically unable to ride up that hill 100% no way and you know what dude like I should have known better I knew as soon as I left the hotel and like I've been doing this for a long time you know like I knew this was not going to go well (laughs) I got a similar story it also happened in the summer so I got to Squamish and then I went straight to Sun Peaks and then I came back and I basically looked up the big routes that you can do on trail forks, right? Yeah. And there was this one ride called 100 Reasons to Hate Yourself. And I was like, it's perfect because it goes around the whole of all the all the hotspots in Squamish, right? Now, I hadn't really ridden, I think maybe between getting back from getting back from field test and going, I'd done like one ride. Mm-hmm. And so this ride that I was going on, it was, it was a good day. It was like 100 kilometers, um, three and a half thousand meters of climbing. So pretty decent day. It was also the day that confirmed that the transition spire is a very versatile bike because <laughs> here we go <laughs> i did it with inserts and just went up and around you know yeah and we spoke about it before but <laughs> because me and mike were just talking about like how stupid some of our opinions are that, that inserts but no spare tube or anything ridiculous no, no ceiling just loving it <laughs> yeah did <laughs> anyway did you pop yeah, I did actually. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> and um, yeah, good. it was fine in the end. But anyway, and um, and I thought that riding in Squamish was going to be like kind of like riding in the Alps where mm. you're going to go into the hills and you're going to come across like little cafes and stuff. <laughs> so I took six energy bars, left in the morning, I don't know, whatever time. And I remember, for those that know it, as you go up what I believe is called the Legacy Climb and you get yeah. to the top of Full Nelson, there's a bench. No corners, do <laughs> I sat down there and I'd eaten six energy bars in 85 kilometers of riding which i'd so far done like 2800 meters of climbing it was hot i've been drinking out of streams like it was a rough old day and i'm just thinking i don't got this <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i don't i don't and i remember just rolling all the way back on my slowing like slowly flatting tire and um yeah, but I'm actually super excited. I'm I'm, rec- I'm on a recruitment drive to find people for this year, but I'm going to change the route a bit from the Trail Forks one and um, do something absolutely horrible. But I love the rides that start in the dark and end in the dark. I think that's a really exciting thing. Would that be a prerequisite for one of your dream rides? It has to be an epic and big, or could it be? It, could you have an amazing it, ride an hour long? No, it has to. I mean, 
I don't know. I think it has to be like north of eighteen, two thousand meters. Um, why? Why is that? Well, because my normal rides are a thousand meters. I try and do like that, like five times a week. Yeah, so yeah. So I need to get out and do something extra. You know? I get that, but why? Why is a more physically demanding ride more likely to be one of your best rides? It's, it's going to give you a greater bandwidth of experience and. You know, you're going out there to ride, I think, like, I'm not very, how to put it, I'm not particularly, like, strong, I don't, ha- I can't put out a great deal of what, so, you know, I'm not, like, super fit or anything, but because I used to do endurance riding for a couple of years, and I, I used to take it somewhat seriously, I can just pedal, so for me, a thousand meters it is a nice thing to do, you know, mm. but... When it gets like 18, two, two and a half, it's like that was actually a real day that you really remember, you know? The thing I like about riding is I like to have a feeling to maintain a consistent intensity. And so it's easier to maintain that for a shorter period. It's not about coming home and being absolutely screwed, but it's, it's, it's more rewarding to hold that intensity for longer and to feel that state of flow of, you know, my dream riders never touching the floor you, you you go out your house yeah and you just ride and you go straight into things and you come straight out and you're operating on the same mental intensity on both climbs in terms of managing your effort as well as descending yeah again managing your effort and you just don't stop and it's a rolling boil the whole time and so to achieve that for one hour is satisfying for two hours great if you can achieve it for five or six hours it becomes something else entirely it, it becomes something that you know, at the end of it, it's not necessarily about being exhausted, but I, for me, I find that particularly re- rewarding, I suppose. Especially you, doing it on like a big bike. And that sounds silly, but not trying to like make it easier on yourself. Just going up there, knee pads, big bike, and just riding like proper, I suppose, quite technical, like challenging terrain, you know? It's funny. I look at it sort of in the same way, but also from a different perspective. I agree. Like I, man, I want to be way the hell out there. I want to be in discomfort. I want to come home completely dead. But I also want to be doing that on like a sporty bike. And for me, I've always said to people, like friends of mine know this saying, my ideal trail is one that I would need like almost like an XC-ish type bike to feel the best on, on the climbs. But I would ride that bike, but on the downs, I would want a downhill bike, but I'd be riding my little bike. You know what I mean? Like... (laughs) I want to I want to work on the climbs and I want to don't feel like I'm being held back by a 170 mil travel freaking enduro thing mm-hmm. and I know I know it's the work that counts and not not the bike you're riding don't get me wrong but then I just want to ride my little bike back down all the scary things Yeah no that's fair but we we yeah you know we do have very different because I think you enjoy being scared or at least you enjoy getting sketchy. You know, you find yeah. that rewarding. I don't, like, I want to be as consistent as possible. And actually, I'm not somebody that's habitually a risk taker. Mm-hmm. I just want to roll through the same trail. Often I might, well, no, and just hit everything I want. Not even yep. ideally improving upon the last time, but often just replicating it. Just hitting that same line with the same, the same amount of control. And, you know, when, I, like, it's funny, the trails that I ride normally... I'll be like, this is this is going to be the run that I just improve that one braking section that I didn't get right last time. Yeah. Or I get the exit of that turn right. And that's, I find, it's not about, you know, from the outside, you probably, 
it probably doesn't look like I'm doing anything different, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's only so slowly you can go down. But for me, it feels really rewarding, like like finessing what you've done previously to just slightly improve it. I just yeah. think it's so much fun. Many years ago, I wrote this a silly op-ed and it was called The, Ar- the Argument. A silly op-ed on Pink Bike? <laughs> yeah, who would have thought? I can't believe <laughs> click, it. Click, 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 click. <laughs> <laughs> it was called uh, The Argument for Short Travel Bikes, where I basically, I made the case that you know, if you're out for a ride, it's not the huge jumps or the big drops or those like huge scary moments that make the ride for you. But it's, you know, that that moment when you're going around that right hand or left hand corner and your feet are up and it's the perfect little counter steer drift through the corner. It looks like you know what you're doing. You probably can't do it again, but yeah. it just feels amazing. And I've had rides where, I mean, they've been an hour long and, you know, nothing is, the ride is not notable at all, but one corner on that ride, I remember that for, I'll remember that for the rest of my life. And that happens like a handful of times every year. And I, I feel like I can get that more often because we were talking about the types of bikes that we prefer. I can get that more often on a shorter travel bike. And I know that's a whole nother topic, but I think that's a factor. Like I don't have very many rides where I think back and like, I think I was riding like a big travel bike and I think that was an amazing ride. Like all my rides that are most memorable, they come from short travel bikes usually. And I think it's because I get more of those, like not necessarily risk-taking, like I'm not out there sending anything these days, you know, the little things. Yeah. It's funny though, because your introduction to cycling, I think has an often long lasting effect because for instance, when you ride Okay, so when you ride by yourself, for me, I think one of the reasons I find it so rewarding is it's similar. I think it's almost like meditation because you're just going up something and you're just blocking out all the external elements mm-hmm. to the point where if you do, if you climb like a, say for two or three hours, just a decent intensity by yourself and someone talks to you and you're not expecting it, it's almost like an affront. Like I've been concentrating so hard and been so deep inside my own head that it's strange to have to come out of that, you know? Mm-hmm. And then when you include someone else in the ride, and I think that's what a lot of road cycling's like, it's like a shared isolation. You know, you're you're rolling through turns together, and that's what that's why I grew up doing as a teenager. You know, and so you know where you've been, and you've covered this great swathe of land, but no one else does. You know, it's like it's like the group's little secret, mm-hmm. and you kind of just it's the short story you share together, and no one, no one else is ever going to really know. And so that I'd be lying if I said that the way I ride mountain bikes was not shaped by those experiences because it, it obviously is like I ride mountain bikes. I think similar to how, how a road, like to the sort of more road cycling culture of sort of wanting to go along at a rolling boil, etc. And, you know, I mean, I think, I mean, some of the rides that I used to do when I used to sort of try and be okay at endurance cycling. I remember this one time me and this guy called Joe, we did this it was his first time at Everett over like 150k. Mm-hmm. We did this, I think it was 470k ride. <laughs> Just a little and bit over 150. <laughs> yeah, he smashed it. I mean, he was like, he was like an elite level rider, but I think under 19 or under 20, yeah. I was probably like 25. And I remember he bonked so hard that he could hardly walk, but he made it through. And no one else is ever going to really understand what he did that day because it was absolutely incredible yeah. to come back and still ride 150 miles home. And we averaged like 32 kilometers an hour, like on this like big ride. So we were spanking it all day. And, you know, there was the time where we, we, we took a wrong turn, you know, we ran out of water, but we just carried on. And we did like 150K without water in the New Zealand heat. I mean, you know, it was 
amazing. And like I said, no one else is ever going to really know that. And so when I involve someone as my ride, it's that same appreciation. However, I'd say similar with you, from what you said, you know, about the way you got into riding was about doing big hucks and building stupid jumps in the woods. And it feels like maybe you've brought on the pedaling aspects slightly later. Would yeah. that be fair to say? Or? I think that's exactly it. Like I found that later in my riding career, I, I started as, actually, you know what? We should do a podcast one day about how we started mountain biking. That would be, mm. that would be great. Let us Badly. know in the comments anyway, if you guys, if you guys want to hear us talk more about that, but <laughs> yeah, no, I started, you know, racing XC as like a little kid and road bike and all that kind of stuff. Like, so you went from XC to Hucker to... Yeah. So you, you want what we call the Tom Pitt trajectory. Uh, yeah, exactly. You can, go, you can go all the way, baby. <laughs> slightly, slightly less success than Tommy Boy, but hey. <laughs> um, yeah, and I remember, I remember discovering freeride bikes and being like, holy shit, I don't have to dress like that and don't have to try this hard anymore. And here I am, full circle, dressing like that again. <laughs> but it used to be something of a hucker, though. Now I've seen some, you're doing some pretty big stuff. Yeah. So with those, because you know how there's, there, are di- there are two different types of huckers on mountain bikes. Mm-hmm. There's the time, there's the people that have done massive stuff and have some photos of the medium-sized stuff. Yeah. And then there's the riders that often do medium-sized stuff. And the one time they did something big, they made sure there was a cameraman there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which are you? I mean, I think I have photos of most of the big things that I've done. Man, I scared myself silly though. Like I remember there's so there's a massive drop on the shore that everybody knows. It's been in tons of videos and we go I think back like more than a decade, way more than a decade actually now. And a friend and I drove there to hit that drop and I remember driving there with him and thinking I don't want to I this isn't, this isn't fun, you know? And he ended up hitting that huge drop that day and I didn't do it. And there was that time there was like a switch. I was like, man, like I still want to hit things, but it doesn't need to be like this anymore. Like I don't need to be like not sleeping the night before because I've told 20 people that I'm going to hit this fucking drop or the drump thing. Like I just want to enjoy bikes. And I think that, what did it do for you though? Like, I mean, was it just, because it's really hard to, sorry to interrupt, but it's, it is hard to upend your motivation on things and, and and suddenly say, I do something for a different reason now. Because especially when you're really passionate about it, mm-hmm. that is a big adjustment, right? Yeah, you know, I still struggle with it. Like, I mean, I still talk to that. I rode with that guy actually just a few days ago. And he still talked about the drop. <laughs> in time. One day we're going to go back and I'm going to do it there, youngsters. <laughs> No, but we we were talking about that actually just a couple of days ago that we still struggle with that. Like there are, there are lots of things I'm not hitting, you know, on the trails and that I have to ride around. And like there was a time when I'd be hitting things that were like literally 10 times that size, you know, yeah. and mentally that's a super difficult thing, I think, to be like, I'm okay going around this now. You know, I, 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 I still, yeah, I still, it still bothers me. It a hundred percent still bothers me. I was riding trails that I grew up riding on the weekend and I went around a couple jumps that I used to hit all the time. And like, it didn't ruin the ride, but I could let it ruin the ride for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So with our perfect ride, what are you trying to get out of it? What, what, what do you want to feel? Do you want to feel technically challenged maybe even got away with stuff that perhaps you couldn't do again or you shouldn't try again you know is is the technicality of the trail i know you like riding these short travel bikes 
and riding the more t- sort of technical trails that are going to be really demanding. But do you almost want to live by the seat of your pants and just kind of, oh, phew, I got away with it there? Yeah, sort of. But I should clarify that it's not, it's not, I'm not doing any giant jumps or drops on these little bikes. Like, I want to go know, back. Leap and Levy goes pretty hard, man. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you'll get literally a foot off the ground, maybe if, more. If the lip is big enough. <laughs> if the lip is over a foot, I might get a foot off the ground. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not it's not that I want to go out there and hit big things on these little bikes. That's that's not it. It's when you say like living by the seat of my pants, I just want to take it back to those small things. Like it's it's flying through the roots on that little bike because you absolutely nailed the line. You know, it's it's wet. There's only one fast line through here. You got to be a little light here and heavy here and I just I like the feeling of accomplishment. And it doesn't have to be something that is going to kill me. It could just be a section of trail that I ride really well on whatever short travel bike that I'm that I'm riding. But if we're talking dream rides, I think it's it's probably pretty similar to you. Like it, I need to be physically challenged. It needs to be mm. it needs to be some sort of long ride or a big climb or preferably not raining because i'm soft about the weather these days let's start hammering some details then yeah okay so what time of year is your ride going to happen oh it's probably in the summer in the summer so what like 20 degrees 25 degrees yeah, warmer, yeah. I'm, colder? I'm always cold i'm cold every single day all the time so yeah it would I know be you're cold give me the cold sh- shoulder <laughs> of these ride invites <laughs> it would be it, well send me an invite when it's 25 celsius oh god don't even mike <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it would, even. It would be 20 heart. something. It'd be 20 something degrees. I'd be wearing shorts and a t-shirt and I'd ride from home because that's where all good rides start. And yes, absolutely. And I would have a hell of a monster climb to somewhere that I've never been before to see something that I've never seen. Maybe it's an old mine or like one time, dude, I found this like 2500 square foot house in the forest last year just I'll, I'll tell you where it is actually not on the podcast but <laughs> things like that like this house is completely abandoned and surrounded by trees it was amazing and it's those oh. are the kinds of things that i love finding and then on the way down like i said the terrain's got to be hard but i don't want to die it's just got to be yeah. some things i have to think about and rewarding me for proper line choices you know what i mean mm. There's this house and basically in the mountains in Lusa, they have, um, before they had like helicopters that could dump water on forest fires, you'd have on station, you know, basically like fire, uh, fire crews there. And, but they're not used anymore, but there's this one abandoned house that's deep in the forest and it's got this amazing sort of, I guess, like they've carved it into the hillside, this like water run so they can fill up really quickly. Like you know, the water just rips through it. Mm-hmm. And it would just be such an amazing spot to live. Yes, that I mean, does sound honestly, good. Honestly, I look at it like it's it's perfect. It would just be amazing. What is, what's the most interesting thing you've ever come across on a ride, Henry? The Ark of the Covenant was a big one. Um, <laughs> oh, really? I found the Holy Grail. <laughs> I went up you. Yeah. Lucky I had my 100% son. I just opened that bad boy right up and took a yeah. peek inside. <laughs> um, what was the most interesting thing I've ever seen on a ride? That's a really good question. Um, I know it sounds silly, but something that, that I think about is like the thing that I've, I've often found really rewarding is, and you know, like you're living in Queenstown, you have the lake and you have your mountains around you and you think that's what like central Otago is. You think that's, that's the big time. Right. 
And then if you can get over the ridge of Ben Lomond, it just opens up and you realize that you live in actually the non-mountainous part and the mountains exist hidden behind the mountain that is that gives the, the town the silhouette, right? And there's something that the first time I saw that, I thought, you know, the mount, when, the, when the mountains almost look like that kind of purpley blue. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, wow, like... I know I didn't, I, it sounds silly, but I didn't expect it to be just like that magnificent. And it was, um, that was a really special, my first time at Ben Lomond Ridge. That was pretty special. Mm-hmm. You? Uh, Ricky and I, my buddy Ricky and I, what we Wayne? found, oh, he wasn't there on this. That's my other buddy. <laughs> that's, we found Wayne. <laughs> yeah. took him in. He was in the forest. <laughs> um, Ricky and I, we found a three-legged dog at the top of this mountain a good ways away from anything. And this was like a little shit zoo thing. It might've even had like a, a ribbon in its hair or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this dog just like came walking out of the forest. We were sitting at the top of the mountain by the radio tower and we were like, what the hell did it? We, so we scooped him up and ended up just rolling down the road. I can't, we can't just leave. Like no one was around. We can't just leave this poor dog here. It's got a collar on it. You know, it's somebody's baby. Um, so we started rolling back down the road. We we're going to go down to the bottom of the mountain, see if anybody's missing a dog. And, uh, but halfway down, a uh, um, person was driving up and it was a dog walker and they had lost this other, a customer's dog up there on this huge mountain. No. Yeah. And we found this three-legged dog. So that's one of them. You know, when I was, um, it's not on a bike, bike, bike ride, but this is pretty bad. And possibly, I, I, it was happened a long time ago. I was, I was about four years old. My sister's a couple of years older than me. Our friends were, you know, like a f- couple of groups of family friends. They're probably like eight kids in total, all between the ages of probably four and maybe seven or eight. And uh, we went exploring <laughs> and we found this car, right? And basically, we it had been abandoned. <laughs> and so we were like, I don't know who said it first, but someone just like, that means we can destroy it. Uh-oh. <laughs> went back to this kid's house we just got like went into this guy's garage and just got like tools and we just went back and just fucked up this car was the car abandoned yeah i mean it, basically the car had been stolen and dumped oh. but still in a good condition yeah yeah and then we were like ah oh, no one wants it anymore and we went and just <laughs> fucked up this car and we came back the next day to really finish the job and just admire our handiwork. Yeah. Been like police taped off. We were like, Run! <laughs> oh shit, they're onto us. <laughs> I think about that often. I'm just like, oh man, because they would have got away with it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like the car was probably still in some sort of a condition. And we were there, dude. We took the, like, window, all the windows were smashed. We took all, like, ripped all the, anything. Kids just, do like, funny six, things. Six small children with hammers. <laughs> just little shit disturbers. <laughs> I just think, like, there's not many things I think, like, I look back and I think, oh, man. I was like a real, like, I don't, I, for all my faults, I don't think I was like a bratty kid or like a massive, yeah. um, you know, like that sort of, I never vandalized anything ever in my life. That's just not really my, you know, that's not something I'd do, but that was my one case of it. And yeah. Maybe it shaped me and I just thought I'd never do it again because dude, I mean, obviously we felt, I still feel bad about it now. I don't know whose that car was. Yeah. yeah we just found it. We just thought for us. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got one for you. I don't know if I feel too bad about this, but 
at the bottom of the mountain that I grew up riding at, there's a big campground, big giant campground. It's always full. People book it out like a year in advance, tons of people. We would go mountain biking and then we would come back down to the campground because there was some, there's also some trails through there and we would find the security guards and <laughs> we would make sure the security guards saw us on our bikes kicking over garbage cans. So then they would chase <laughs> us. So we'd want security to chase us as they're chasing us. Obviously, like we could jump over parking barriers and do things that these poor guys couldn't. And I think back now, what a bunch of idiot kids. Yeah, Those guys. Oh, I don't know. 25? <laughs> 32. <laughs> no, I might have been 15. But like, you know what? Those guys should have caught me and they should have beat the shit out of me. Yeah. And then thrown me totally. off the dock. A hundred percent. Yeah. Man. I mean, yeah, not forgotten tangent. I often I often think about that with I don't know. I just obviously all humans, we all have all these regrets, you know? Yeah. And I don't think I was never I don't think I was a, like in school or whatever. I don't think I was ever like nasty or rude, but I was just I could be really disruptive because I just didn't care. Mm -hmm. And I just think these poor people just trying to do their jobs. Yeah. And I used to just like often engage, want to engage in discussion with them, but it was always that discussion about why I had to do what they told me to do. And I look back and I just, I just cringe. I just cringe as well because I think of all the other kids that actually wanted to learn something. And then they're like, this Henry guy is making it the Henry show, which probably clearly haven't grown out of, but fuck, it's pretty bad. All right, Henry, let's wrap this up by quickly describing our dream ride. We'll talk about location, time of the year, type of the bike. Yeah, and how far the ride is. Henry, hit me with it. I think it would be Ian Lazark in France. I think there'd be two or three of us. It would be like maybe face 2,000 meters, proper enduro riding, blind, long stages. And it would be in sort of that April, May time before where the weather's nice, but it hasn't got too hot yet. Mm-hmm. All right, I you? think I think is, for is me, Wayne coming? yeah, definitely. My buddy Wayne is there. <laughs> um, I think that I would say it would probably be something big in the Sea to Sky Valley, something with you know a thousand meters or more of climbing that puts us above the tree line up into the Alpine. Uh, we'd be on some sort of silly, efficient short travel bikes, and the terrain would be just challenging enough that we we'd be wondering if we should be there or not. You know what I mean? Well, dude, that sounds that sounds like something we could actually do. What's your right? excuse? <laughs> that sounds like every day. Your dream ride. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think um, that Lord of the Squirrels has the capacity. I think for me, on a downcountry bike, I think yeah. pedaling from if you've got a good run on the traffic, pedaling from Squamish. Oh, dude, what's pedaling from Squamish? What's wrong with you? That's a hundred kilometers like, of highway. Firing along. No, because it was such a. Like I said, it made it just extended the good time. I thought it was sick. I thought it was great. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Okay. All right, everybody. That is Henry and I's dream rides, our description of it anyway. Let us know in the comments what you think of our dream ride and tell us what your dream ride would be. What type of bike would you be riding? Where would it be? Who would you be with? And how long would your ride take? That's it for today's Pink Bike Podcast. We'll see you next time around.